Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. You guys stay standing. Jason's going to pray for our time in the Word. Dear Lord, I just thank you, Father, for Neil. I thank you, Lord, for how he has led us, Lord, and the scepter of authority you've given him, Father. We pray that as he teaches, Lord, you would open up our hearts, you would open up our minds to receive your Word, to... to stay in the just the word that there is now no condemnation lord that you came to set us free you came to heal us you came to bring us life father we thank you we pray lord that your word would come and radically change our lives father you would transform us by the renewing of the word in our lives in jesus name amen amen Amen. you guys have a seat know that your bulletins can double as fans and i'm okay with that there we go thanks annabelle Have you ever noticed that the closer you are relationally with someone, the more obliging you are to them? It's not rocket science. But you ever notice just the kind of, the more closer you are to someone relationally, then the more sympathetic you can be towards them, the more understanding you are? Kind of like, works like this. Like we, we, we prayed for, a moment ago we prayed for one of my bosses, my mentor, Sean Richmond. He's the head of our mini movement here, and he uh, is pastor now of the river in Waltham, and so sometimes he'll send me an email, and he'll ask me to do something, right? And my heart, I'll have this, oh, okay, <laughs> kind of response, right? Sorry, I'm just telling you the truth here, okay? But if I'm sitting across from lunch with Sean, we're enjoying some fellowship together, and then in the course of our relating, he says, hey, I need you to do this, this, and this. Could you do that for me? Sure, I'd love to. How can I help, Right? A little closer relationally, there's a little more in the tank there to be obliging. And actually, one of you, I can't remember who, you can speak up if you'd like to, but one of you shared with me some research that was done lately on this topic. And it was research on um, cutting in line and people's uh, responding to other people cutting in line. And so the picture here is that they're like the FedEx Kinkos trying to get photocopies done. And if someone just comes up and asks, may I cut you? The answer is almost universally, no, (laughs) you know, I'm in line. But if there's any bit of reason given for why they need to be cut, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm really late for a meeting, can I cut? Or, you know, my photocopier broke down, I need to use this photocopier, can I? Anytime there's a reason given, then, you know, regardless of the reason, there'd be, sure, you can cut me. There was just a little bit of relational um, touch there makes us a little bit more obliging, a little bit more... Yes, in our hearts. Now, what does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with this core truth that even we just read a moment ago standing? I think it has everything to do with the gospel. And we're going to unpack Romans 8 and see how this is true. I believe we're about to discover some of the genius of God that I just, ooh, I get giddy about up here. It's why I had to wear orange today. It's not because I like the Dutch soccer team or Syracuse. It's just because the 
the gospel message today is so good, we gotta, we got to enjoy it, all right? So let's go through. Praise the Lord. Romans 8. We're going to walk through and say, Lord, illuminate our hearts. Excite us for the gospel. I have to say, as we start these <clears throat> first few verses, it reminds me of when we looked at Romans 3, 21. I don't even remember that little passage, but we commented that Martin Luther, the theologian, <clears throat> when he thought of like the core center of the gospel, he thought of this Romans 3, 21 passage. I come to Romans 8, 1 to 4, and I say, man, I... I should, have done my, I should have done some better prep and said, man, what did Martin Luther said about this? Because it's in the same level, right? What we're about to read, what we just read, it's just the core truth of the gospel, and it doesn't get better than this. This is what I call, if you're following along on your purple sheets, and I highly encourage you, because sometimes what comes out of my mouth is not clear, but the thinking originally was clear, just so you know. Praise the Lord. So on that purple sheet, this is the truth, all right? The first section here is called the truth, right? What I put in parentheses there? The rescue, right? This is the truth about the rescue. Let me reread it to us. Romans 8. Therefore, right? Remember we were left off last week. We left off last week all in a tizzy because we're struggling with our own sin. What a wretched man that I am, Paul said, because I want to do what I should do, but I can't. And that which I don't want to do, I keep doing. That was his problem. And he says this. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, I mean, think of law, just think of the Ten Commandments, right? The do's and don'ts that God's given us so that we could be happy. But what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by our sinful nature, our flesh, our aptitude for rebellion, God did. Ooh, everyone say God did. All right? God did it. God did it for us. We could pack up and go home right now. Praise the Lord. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man. And your picture there should be of the cross, right? Jesus hanging on a cross written above him as king of the Jews. He's been condemned to death. And so God condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And you and me, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but we live according to the Spirit. This is the rescue that we needed. Can I just remind you where we ended last week? Come on, I need my little team here, get our players. All right, I just want to set this scene of what happened last week real quick. Anne and Renee and Matt and Matt, I need you guys. What's that last scene? Give me the pose. Law's up here. Remember, Anne, here's the law. There we go. Anne, wave your hand. She's the law. Matt Schilling, here is the inner man. He's that party that's been redeemed, that wants to serve God with all your heart. We got Renee, who's the sinful nature, okay? <laughs> She's that party that still wants to just satisfy yourself all the time. Now, they're real linked. They're real close, aren't they? Because you're part of the same soul here. And then we got Matt, confusingly today, dressed in white. Last Sunday, he was dressed in black because he is sin, all right? He is rebellion, all right? And this was our closing scene, right? Here you are, caught. You know what a wretched man I am, says Paul. I want to serve, I want to do what's right, but my sinful nature right here. And so the very rescue, ooh, maybe this is the reason for the orange shirt. Here we go. Spirit of God, okay? <laughs> Spirit of God comes, and uh, the Spirit of God comes and really empowers this crew to uh, do the deal and empowers this crew to be put to death. Let's put these guys to death. Boom, there we go. Okay, thank you guys. Great, yes. 
Okay, so the rescue we needed comes by the Spirit of God. That is the truth of God's rescue. The law itself could not accomplish our holiness because of our sinful nature. God took care of this by setting the Son as our substitute, and God condemned sin and the sinful man. And I love how brilliant the Spirit of God is, and in this case, working through Paul. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> For what the law was powerless to do, just said it, I mean, uh, to do that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, a sin offering. Okay, all of you guys know your Old Testament, I'm sure. And you know that there are several different kinds of offerings that the, the people of God had to do. Some were peace offerings, some were fellowship offerings, some are thank offerings. But then one is the sin offering. And each one of these offerings had a different purpose. And the sin offering had the purpose of atoning for the sins that were committed unknowingly or unwillingly. And so when I read that Paul says through the spirit of God that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. I hear and I receive and I feel the sympathy and the compassion of God. For that very predicament we find ourselves in, right? The very place where Paul was saying, man, I'm a wretch. I'm messed up because I want to do what's right and I can't do it. And here Paul is saying, Jesus is a sin offering. For that part of us that, um, you know, it covers that which we do unwillingly and unknowingly. And I just hear that the sympathy of God, the care of God, the compassion of God. So this is the truth. And whether you feel it or not, it's true. You know, it's kind of like gravity. Whether you want to obey the law of gravity or not, it's got you by its hold. And what I want to share with you today is this is the gospel truth, whether you believe it or not. So I think the goal for us is to believe it more and more. Amen? Come on. So my question still is, it sounds good. It is the truth. It's theological truth with a capital T. But how does it work? How does God accomplish this? How do I Walk in the spirit of life. How do, how do I obey more and more with a happy heart? How do I get away from the escape? Or how do I escape from the sinful nature? And again, this is where I think the genius of God is unfolded in this passage. Let's move on to the second part. Having that question in mind. How does this work? The second part I call the choice. All right? Or as I put there in parentheses, these are the practicals. I'm a practical kind of guy. I want to know how this thing works. Lord, I'm... I need your help. How does it work? And here is what he says about the choice you have, the choice we have, the practicals of how this thing works. Let's pick it up at five. So those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. I love how Paul doesn't pull any punches, right? He's not sugarcoating anything. Hey, just by the way, um, your rebellion, it's death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. Many of us are aware of that hostility in our own hearts. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Isn't that wild? The sinful nature, <laughs> it's hostile to God. It does not submit to his law, and it cannot, Okay. But those controlled by the sinful nature, therefore, cannot please God. Here is the choice, right? Day to day, you and I still find ourselves in that predicament that is ages old, the one that Cain found himself in, in Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 7, the Lord is speaking to Cain, because Cain's a little bit jealous of his brother Abel. 
And God says this to Cain. He says, listen, Cain, if you do what's, if you do what's right, will you, you will be accepted. Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, what Romans 8, 1 to 4 does for us, what the truth, the first part of this section does for us, is, what it does for us is it gives us the power to choose what Cain could not choose. Or at least we have, a, we have a resource available to us, the Spirit of God, that Cain did not have at that moment, okay? We have the choice empowered by the Spirit. Humor me for a minute, and let's just go to skip to verses 12 and 13, because I believe they uh, are closely attached with this thought, more closely attached to the second area, this idea of choice. This really gets the practicals. Here's the nitty-gritty. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. All right, there's the choice. Now, when we come to the opportunity, should I sin, should I not sin? The great news is we've got the Spirit of God. We've got a resource of God that wants to help us. We're going to learn about that resource in just a second. But we have it, okay? We have that resource. And when I just think about walking with people, discipling people, when I think about my own discipleship, my own growth in the Lord, my own maturity, one way that I... Um, frame it is I just think, you know what I'm learning month after month, year after year, decade after decade. (laughs) The same thing that many of you are learning week after week, month after month, year after year. And that is we are learning that, hmm, wow, my sinful nature really is death. And guess what? The spirit of God really is life. I mean, That's basically, if I was going to frame our journey, it's believing that what God said is actually true, that his way is better than my way. My carnal nature really leads to death, and his way is life. That's what this journey is about. These great authors, um, Cloud and Townsend, two um, their their followers of Jesus who uh, also are in the discipline of psychology, they've written many books, and I've referred to them before, but the kind of a key one for me Jeremy introduced me to it, is um, how people grow. How people grow. Few of us grow in our maturity linearly, but most of us, it fits and starts as we learn this truth that, hey, the mindset in the flesh is death. Oh, yeah, that was death. I shouldn't have done that. You know, oops. But the mindset in the spirit is life. And they said it this way. They say, you know what? In all our experience counseling people, walking with people, it just seems that people don't really change Remember, the title of the book is How People Grow. People don't really change until they hit bottom. It's when you and I, when we hit bottom in our struggle with sin or whatever the particular issue is, that we really start to change. And we're open to the fact that the Spirit might have a better way for us, right? Or a man named Dr. Gerald May. He's written a book called Addiction and Grace. Dr. May passed away in the early 2000s. His work with substance abusers so powerful, and although he was mostly working with people who had chemical dependencies, he could extrapolate a lot of it to other kind of behaviors and addictions, same kind of thing. People don't really change until they hit bottom. But it's often in that bottom that then we discover, wow, Spirit of God's better. Maybe I should do it that way. Maybe, maybe I can grow here. 
What a great example from the business world and Steve Jobs, right? Former CEO of Apple. Do you know he was kicked out of his own company? If you know the whole Steve Jobs story or the Apple story, but he founded Apple. And um, as, you know, the, the intrigue goes in the, in the executive team, he got kicked out in the early 80s. They said, peace, we don't want you anymore. And, but it was in that really low point of his life, during the late 80s and early 90s, he worked on a computer system called Next that would then start to inform his other work. And uh, he acquired Pixar. You know, if you guys are familiar with, if you got kids, you really enjoy cars, cars too, and I don't know, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, uh, maybe that's Disney. I don't know who's who, but Pixar's the animated studio, and he acquired that and kind of learned some stuff. The point being that then when he got picked up by Apple again in the early or mid-90s, he was ready to go. And out comes the iMac, right? This acrylic wonder that we all fell in love with 15 years ago, a little see-through computer box that did everything. And then later in 2001, he'd come <laughs> I'm getting the now that wasn't a, that was not a wonder box. I, I mean, anyways, little round mouse. Yeah, perfect circle mouse. And um, you could see, anyways, okay. So 2001, he comes out with the iPod. And the iPod, gosh, there's a, you know, there's a small list of things that really change culture an iPod is one of them. He goes through a hard time. When he comes back, he's rocking and rolling, right? Similar picture here. We learn that the deeds of the flesh lead to death. We hit bottom. We say, hey, God, maybe your way is right. Praise the Lord. It's the choice we have. The choice we have. But it's an empowered choice. And I love, let me just look again at verses 12 and 13. I love how the choice comes out. I love the I love the beauty of this tension, and um, I think I, we have it there as the verse that is uh, selected for this choice part. This is verse 13. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Okay, there's death when we sin, right? It's not just you'll have a bad day. <laughs> I mean, it's just real black and white here for Paul. But watch this. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. There is a mystery here. If you put to death by the Spirit the misdeeds of the body. There is a holy cooperation here. The Spirit of God empowers us to put to death. Now this holy cooperation, this mystery has been the subject of theological debate for, I was going to say decades, many decades, centuries, right? In fact, one of the things that surprised me the most as a church planter in this area, maybe it's because we live under the shadow of two wonderful institutions who love Jesus, by the way. But when I came here, I was surprised by everyone's need to put me on the map on the Calvin to Arminian, the Calvinism to the Arminian scale. They needed to know where I was coming from and where our movement was coming from. And for the uninitiated, Calvin, I would just say those guys kind of put more emphasis on what God has done for us. And the Arminian crew, they've kind of put a little more emphasis on what we need to do in response to God. And people wanted to put me on this map. And I said, well, hey, I look at things like Romans 8, and I think Paul's got it right. What I mean is this phrase, if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body. And one, one uh, professor, he's a theologian, he's a commentator uh, by the last name of Mu. That's kind of fun, Mu. Um, my son could say it for like hours on end and be entertained. Moo, Moo says this, and he kind of holds the tension really well too. He says, it's interesting, you know, he says, 
Security without responsibility breeds passivity. In other words, for the Calvin crowd, feeling really secure that God's the one who's rescued me, and so everything's okay, but security without responsibility breeds passivity. He called to mind one of the elders in his church who was totally secure in his salvation, but was sleeping with someone other than his wife, right? Something's out of control there. So secure in God, now that's a good thing, but... Without the responsibility, there's passivity in, in response to us being pleasing to God. And on the other extreme, right, where you have responsibility without security, that breeds anxiety, right? If we have uh, responsibility without security, that breeds anxiety. And he called to mind a woman in his congregation who was very conscientious, wanted to obey. And so there's a lot of anxiety because she never could fully receive what we're about to look at, this spirit of adoption. She could never fully receive what God had accomplished for her. He, she could never receive what we just read in Romans 8, 1 and 2, that what she couldn't do in the flesh, he did for her. And so his result was always really anxious. So there's a wonderful tension here. That's why we don't get uptight about where we end up on that particular theological map. We just say, hey, I look at Romans 8 as one example, and I say, by the spirit, I have to put to death the misdeeds of the body. I've got help from above and there's some response. I am secure in his love for me and I respond. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's try that again. Amen? Amen? We get excited about our cooperation with the Holy Spirit so we can live. It's going to be good. All right? That's the choice. Everyone say choice. All right, so we got truth. Everyone say truth. Truth is what God's done. Amen. Choice. We still got the choice. We got the practicals. And then, ooh, here comes the, here comes the answer to that question. We're starting to get the answer to that question, how does this whole thing work? And it starts with a little pep talk from Paul. I can hear Coach Paul, right, speaking to this Roman church. And he's giving the pep talk here. He's like, guys, don't forget who you are. And we get into that here, 9 through 11. You, Romans 8, verse 9. This is your identity. Identity. Yeah, everyone say identity. identity. All right, part three here, identity. Here's the pep talk. You, however, you are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and I'm here to tell you if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the, the, this is the essence of what Paul is saying is here. You got Jesus in you, you got the Spirit of God in you, okay? No matter how snuffed out it is right now, right? Isaiah 42, one of our theme passages here is that a bruised reed he won't break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So even if you feel like your snuffed is all snuffy, God's inside you, okay? And he lives inside you. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. It's not trying to condemn people here. But if Christ is in you, which he is, your body is dead because of sin. In other words, sin will always feel like death to you. I, you know, probably some of the most miserable people are the people who are Christians, but not walking in the fullness of God. Because they got... You know, they know that it's death, but they're not walking all the joy of the Lord. Anyone been there? Yeah, no one's raising their hands. Liars. Okay. (laughs) I've been there. (laughs) But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. There's a little flame in there. The righteousness of Jesus wanted to shine out. And verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, bodies through his spirit who lives in you. First John 4, John had a revelation of this, right? What did he say? He said, greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. 
You got the spirit of God inside you. That same spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So what is your deal? (laughs) In other words, like what sin do you struggle with? Or what depression or what discouragement or what fear has got you gripped? If Jesus was raised from the dead, if the spirit of God overcame death, then I guarantee the spirit of God can overcome what's got your goat. Amen? And we're here to stir that up. I know it's hard to believe it on days. I have bad days too. But that's why we meet together as the body of Christ, because we encourage each other in this truth that the spirit of God's inside us and we can overcome by his grace. This is Paul giving the pep talk. This is who you are. I started my summer reading. Memorial Day. (laughs) I started with a real light title called To Hell and Back. Some of you guys know me. It's, It's where I go when I need to relax. Not hell, but... I, um, I go to military stuff. And so to Helen Beck is the story of Audie, Audie Murphy. He is the most decorated soldier from World War II. The man just survived. I mean, he was in so many campaigns, he just kept going. I mean, there's not enough room for all the ribbons, right, on his, on his coat there. But so where I am right now is the beginning of his, his days, and he began in the campaign in Italy, the same campaign that my great uncle was in. And he talks about he had been, you know, seasoned by battle. He had been in several combat situations, but his unit was continually taking heavy losses, and so replacements would come. So here he found himself in battle with a replacement named Thompson near him, and, um, uh, you know, Adi is, is, is battle-tried, battle-tested. But he sees Thompson respond to the fact that a man just a few yards ahead of them, an American, was just, uh, uh, artillery came and boom, the man just, he was torn in half. And it was obviously an incredible shock. So Thompson is sitting there, just keeps saying to himself, but he was just lying there. He was just lying there. And Audie Murphy can see that this guy's about to go into like shock. He's about to go into shell shock. It's, you know, what we now call PTSD. He's, he's like, he starts to quiver and he's white as a sheet. And so Audie Murphy just, you know, kind of crawls up next to him and slaps him as hard as he can on the, <laughs> on the cheek and says, get a hold of yourself, man, right? Keep your wits about you because that's the only way we're going to get through this thing right now is you got to keep your wits about you. Stay with me and let's go. And they make it through that, that particular firefight. I'm not... Anyways, the point being, Paul's giving us a little slap in the face here, saying, get with it. You got the spirit of God, okay? You're not without the spirit of God. You're not alone. You have God's spirit with you. In love, get with it, friends, right? Amen. In love, please, in love. The heart of the Father is so good. We're about to discover it. Amen? Okay. So, Paul, give us the pep talk. We got the spirit of God. He's inside you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he's inside you. And... um. Let's, let's get to the glory here. Let's get to the genius of God. How does God do it still? How do we overcome spirit? How is it that the spirit rescues us? And here's the, the gold. Let me get to 14 through 17. Let me reread 12 and 13. Let's go through that together. Therefore, brothers and sisters. Oh, this is good news. Our obligation is no longer to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. You will die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons. They are daughters. They are children of God. Ooh. 
For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That last part's more part of another thought we'll get to later. I want to focus on 14 and 15 and 16. Let's review those. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of adoption, by which you cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. This is the genius of God. That genius is relationship. All right? How does God overcome your sin? By relating to you. By inviting you into the family. By making you a part of who he is. This was never more real to me than just this last week. This idea was never more poignant to me than this last Monday. When our family had a great day together. We enjoyed our Memorial Day. The weather was perfect. We went to Hamilton. And this is my family obliging me. And saw some of the Memorial Day uh, festivities um, at Hamilton. And, you know, they have a great little parade. And then it's just such a great community feeling because then you're, you walk down 1A, you know, Bay Road, back to Patton Park where that tank is. And then they have another little um, ceremony. And, you know, J.D. and Hannah can play on, the, on all the equipment there. And it's just wonderful. We ate outside. And we had a great afternoon together, reading, napping. Then we ate outside again that night. And we just had an awesome family day. Now, one of my litmus tests for how... Specifically, my son and I are doing is our bedtime routine. How does it go? If he goes to bed kicking and screaming, and it's a lot of work to get him to go to bed, we're not in the best place. But when we've had a relationally rich day, when we had a whole day together, bonding, being together, then nighttime is like a piece of cake. He's like, yes, daddy, you know, time for bed. We'll have our little story and we'll pray. Good night. And out he goes because he's secure in my love. He's content. We've had relational connection all day. That is the spirit of adoption. That is what God has done with you. He's invited you into a relationally rich day, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day. And how about all eternity? The Father God has invited you into a relationally rich wonder day of the rest of your lives. And it's out of that that we're able to obey. Relationship, that is the genius of God, that the nature of the spirit, right, I mean, man, the Apostle Paul could have written about the Spirit of God in a number of ways. But he chooses that the essence of the Spirit of God is adoption, that we belong. Who here doesn't have a wound of rejection? Gosh, I don't know who doesn't. But man, the Spirit of God ministers the acceptance, the belonging of God. J.I. Packer, in his great book called Knowing God, he, he uh, expands on this at great length and says, you know... <laughs> Parents, biological, we don't choose our kids. We just get them, you know. I'm stuck with my two kids whether I like it or not, you know. They're the ones God gave me, J.I. Packer says. But adoption, they actually got chosen, you know. If you, if you adopt someone, you're choosing that one. His point is just that there really can't be any higher love than God's adoptive love of you and me. Ooh, it's how he's won our obedience, and it's so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
And so as we prepare ourselves for communion, I think the proper response is we just ask, Lord, will you give me afresh the spirit of adoption? And especially if you find yourself, find yourself particularly struggling with sin, then I call to mind an analogy by a guy named Dr. Ted Roberts. He's a pastor in the West Coast for years and years. Now he runs kind of a whole ministry. And Dr. Ted Roberts gives an example of just the noose. And he gives an example of a diver. And I don't know, I guess divers, I don't, I don't know if, who, if you're scuba people. Actually, I know we have some scuba people here. But I guess there's, like there's a underwater, there can be a rope where you ring a bell to say, I don't know, I'm in trouble, I need something, I'm ready to come up, I don't know. Anyone? Yes, maybe, no. So, <clears throat> so he gives the analogy of here's a scuba diver, and accidentally he's gotten his leg caught in the noose of the rope there. And the natural response is just to pull, 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 to pull at that noose. But the way a noose works is the harder you pull, the tighter it gets. Diver finds himself in a pickle. But what is needed is for the diver to pull out his knife and cut himself free from that rope. And so the equivalent today of, of instead of trying harder, harder, harder as you wrestle with your own sinfulness, in one sense, the knife, the being cut free, is just you saying, Father, I need the spirit of adoption, Right? Reveal to me once again that you love me, that you're for me, that you brought me into the family, that I belong. I need the spirit of adoption once again. Reveal it to me, Lord. Put it in me by your spirit. Ask the Lord for the spirit of adoption. Because let me tell you, yes, thank you, amen. Someone's, someone's here. Um, let me tell you, the church drawn in, right? What do we have there? God draws us in so we can be free from sin, Right? Let's, let's say that together. Everyone just say, God draws, us in God draws us in so that I can be free from sin. Right? Drawn in, free from sin. Part of the family, it's what heals you. Part of the family, it's what rescues you. Part of the family, it's what delivers you. You're drawn in, you're free from sin. And I just got to say, because um, Peter Vance actually referenced this, referenced this, uh, this morning in our prayer time. If this whole church, right, last Sunday we were 108 humans in this, in this building. Uh, maybe we're a little more today. But I'm just telling you, if about 110 people are drawn in and they get free from sin, this city will not be able to handle the contagion of love that comes its way. Part of that love we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll do physically in a manifest way on June 30th. On June 30th, we're going to break up into teams. You're going to serve different parts of the city in different ways. But even on a bigger scale than that, if 120, 110 people get a revelation of how much they're loved by God, how they're drawn in, we get free from sin corporately, together, more and more. I'm telling you, there's a contagion of love that's going to grab the North Shore and it's going to change this place. Amen? So even as we're talking just kind of theology here today, truth that sets us free, it's not just for us. It's so that the kingdom of God can come. All right? The kingdom of God is going to come on the backs of people like you and me who, like Jeremiah prophesied. What did Jeremiah say? He dreamed of the day. God gave him a picture of the day. And he said, you know what? The Lord said it to Jeremiah somewhere there in the 30s. He said, I'm going to, the day is coming when the law of God is going to be written on their hearts. No one will have to say, they'll not have to say to his neighbor, I know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Because everyone's going to know the Lord. That's what God's doing today. Amen. So your response, you receive the love of God and know that it's not just for you, although 
Let it be for you primarily. Paul is talking primarily about the believer, his relationship with God. But let it be because God wants to turn this thing upside down. Amen. Because if we don't have a, a vision as big, of that, as big as that, then we just kind of become a little cesspool of, I don't know, a churchy cesspool. And, and after a while, they stink, don't they? We want life. We want flow. We want, we want the life of God. Amen.